Welcome to Ruby Ray, real and raw conversations for the rising global woman. I am your host, Jacqueline Norton. Welcome back to the Ruby Ray podcast. This is episode nine. I'm your host, Jacqueline Norton, and thank you so much for being here today, wherever you are in the world listening. It's been really cool to see, look on the little map and see all these dots of all these different places that you are listening. So thank you so much for tuning in and being here, and I really appreciate it super excited about today's conversation. I'm talking to the storyteller, Jess Davis, behind Folk Rebellion. And today we dive into everything about regarding tech and questioning things and questioning the way things are done in rebellion. And not just in regards to technology, but in regards to all things. And I feel like this this conversation is so important to have right now, and I didn't realize how much it was until I had it. And I took an honest look at my life and my relationship with technology after. And so since having this conversation, I did two things. Um, well, I guess I did one thing, which really affects two areas of my life, the morning and the night. So I stopped leaving my phone um, in my room, which I've known I should do forever, but I just didn't do it for whatever reason. And so I, you know, put it in the bathroom and it has radically changed my days and my nights because it is so tempting to just, you know, go online before going to bed and have zero boundaries around what's going into your brain when you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed at night. And as a result, I've been getting up way earlier and starting my day on my own terms and doing crazy things like reading before bed. And, you know, I'm not perfect at it. There is no such thing as perfection in this space. But um, I just want to share that with you because it's one tiny little thing and I know I still have way further to go with implementing boundaries around technology in my life but this is one thing that I did that I can honestly say makes a huge difference in my days and one morning I didn't um I I, I went on I went on my phone before like doing my morning routine and stuff and I totally noticed the way that it affected my brain functioning throughout the rest of the day. So I'm just throwing that note in there. You know, in this conversation today, we talk about just a culture of protest and rebellion and like questioning things, questioning the status quo. And it's interesting because back in the day in the 70s or in the, you know, in the counterculture day, um, days, they were, we didn't, they didn't, there was no technology then. So you could be questioning things from outside the system, right? But like today, technology is a part of the system and we are a part of that. So we're naturally ingrained in this thing um, that we are consuming that is a part of the problem. And so it doesn't give us that layer of removal and that foresight to really look critically into the situation. And so 
I think it's just an important note to make. Where in your life can you look more critically and through the lens of your own intuition, be it politics, you know, technology, your business, your work, your superiors, your friends, whoever, are you questioning them? And are you taking an honest look through your own perspective, through your own lens and questioning the way things have always been done? I think this is a really critical time in our history to be doing that and taking that honest look and you know, realizing the role that technology plays in that. So I'm going to leave you with a little dare or challenge, which is, you know, it's July, it's high summer, the sun's shining. And if you're in Australia, it's winter. I'm sorry. (laughs) But for, for a lot of us, it's summer right now. And so I challenge you to do something that your little self would have loved doing in the summertime so go jump off a a dock <laughs> I was gonna say a bridge but I was like no don't do that <laughs> go to, go jump off a dock or you know like rope swing somewhere or go running in a field or on a hike in the woods or scale a mountain and eat a sandwich at the top or like go dancing Go and ride your bike with a speaker in it and just get lost somewhere. And do something, bring that nostalgia back into your life in one little way this week or this weekend without your phone and just see how you feel. Because I know that you might be on your way home from work or listening to this alone somewhere. And I know the feeling of that we all are facing of like this alienation that our technology does to us so like do something in your put the power back into you and into your body and do something to counterbalance that you know go hug someone call a friend make dinner together eat share a meal together you know like sit around the bonfire and have your phones far out of sight so that's all I want to say. I, you know, I just noticed how much of an impact these conversations, this conversation in particular, had in my life. And so I think we all deserve to be living our best lives and doing those things that bring that like childlike sense of wonder and joy back into our lives. And like, let's be real, we need it. Our bodies need it, our brains need it. Um, our relationships need it. Like we need this back in our life. So that is all. Thank you so much for being here. And here is our interview with Jess. Jess, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. I'm really excited to be chatting with you today. Same, same. So let's, well, I guess I just want to start off by saying when I first found Folk Rebellion, I was living in New York at the time. And I remember coming across your site or something. And it was like, my heart just like had a big exhale, you know, like finding it. Because it was like, oh my gosh, someone's calling bullshit on the bullshit. You know, (laughs) like you were talking about all these things that we know, but 
we also are really good at kind of like turning a blind eye to or just making excuses for whatever. So first of all, thank you for for starting this. Why don't we just get your story with how you started Folk Rebellion, how it all came to be, and yeah, where where it got its start. Yeah, um, well, Folk Rebellion, I never meant to start this company and uh, be an entrepreneur. It kind of happened out of my own personal need. Um, To understand how I arrived here today, you have to kind of understand, like we go way back into my background. I was uh, kind of in the belly of the tech beast back um, in my past 15 years in New York City. So I accidentally became a digital brand strategist. And I say accidentally because really I thought I was going to be an artist. I was a creative writer and a storyteller and a fine art photographer and found out pretty quickly that I was actually a lot better at communicating on behalf of brands, companies, organizations to get people to show up to their events because it was just a natural form of storytelling for me when the internet sort of became a thing. It was a now word of mouth marketing online and I didn't mean to do it. It just was very natural for me to communicate in that sort of medium. So I fell face first into this very fast paced career, um, sitting at the helm of these big, you know, marketing campaigns, but being the liaison between the people who know nothing really about digital, but were handling um, the marketing budgets. So more of your C-suites like the CEO and the CMO and things like that. But because I had had a traditional background, I was able to really speak to this new sort of online community that was happening and uh, why they needed to put dollars around it. So fast forward, um, I won a lot of awards. My clients won awards. I made a lot of money and it was actually really fun. Um, A lot of the different programs and campaigns that I was able to work on and and the creativity that I was able to use. But when you're operating and communicating on behalf of 15 different brands in the digital space, um, I didn't realize back then that it wasn't really sustainable. I didn't really know that my big and busy career that was giving me the skill set I needed to storytell and like create communities was at the very same time essentially burning me out. And what happened was I was getting really sick, um, like cognitively in my brain, and I started to go see these different doctors and try and figure out what was happening. I had no idea at the time um, that it was going to end up being my technology that was really making me sick, and I had to go through this whole journey. But once I discovered what it was that was burning me out, giving me malaise, brain fog, Uh, disassociation, lack of focus, and severe memory loss, I decided that I needed to change my life. And I tried to change my life in my work and in my home and very quickly ran up against the rest of the world and realized that I might have had this aha moment, but nobody else really had and didn't know how to talk about it. You have to realize back then, five, six years ago, digital detox wasn't even really in the zeitgeist or the lingo. And so everyone said I was crazy. And now today to see so many people talking about it is really a wonderful thing. So that's how Folk Rebellion was born. It was just, I, I, it wasn't sustainable the way that I was living anymore. And nobody out there was talking about this uh, digital wellness or digital well-being or 
addiction around technology and the perils when you do become that way. So did you know right away that it was going to be a newspaper like print and do apparel and all of these different things? Or how did you how did you want to access this conversation? No. Yeah. So I didn't really know what it was. My main goal was and still is to speak to as many people as possible, speak with them, have conversations around the effects of technology on our lives, our relationships, our businesses, our health. And I knew that it was a really scary conversation, especially for a lot of people that maybe are in relationships or have people around them that are addicted or bosses that are emailing them at three, four in the morning, or maybe you know, parent one parent doesn't want to give their child video games and the other one does. It's a really hard conversation to have and it can be scary. And so I knew that the only way to that to get people to even be open to this conversation was to do what I was a pro at, which was make it a lifestyle. And so the same way we look at brands like Harley Davidson representing freedom or Apple representing creativity, I knew that I could make this really a lifestyle brand. So a little less scary and a little more fun. And that's why you'll see that our uh, messaging is really um, not talking down to people, not super academic, but really approachable and fun. And I decided to do it through like this sort of rebellious counterculture. And honestly, if my job was to get into the home or the room or on stage to have this conversation, I just needed tools to get me there. And so the t-shirts was the first thing that happened. Happened. I started out um, coming up with these fun, pithy sayings like, you know, let's wander where the Wi-Fi is weak, which is now totally used everywhere to just get people to go, oh, that's really cute. Yeah, I miss going walking where there's no, you know, that my cell phone's not with me. Our hang tags were bookmarks, so obviously they couldn't be used with iPads and on it was our credo. And it was just really what I was good at was getting people and community to buy into like a central concept or idea. And then my goal when I wrote down um, my original plans was to have be the alternative, analog alternative for a screen in world and a printed publication was first on my list of things to do. So I did know I was going to set out to do that. But I more than that, I think it was imperative that I was very different than anyone else having these conversations. Again, not being too scientific, not being too scary, too dystopian and looking down your nose at people. I really wanted it to be fun and playful. Yeah, and it's even looking at the the truth of today is that I don't even know if we can say like this friend is tech obsessed or this one is because it seems like it's reached like this mass point where the new normal. I heard that most people spend on average 10 hours a day on their tech, something like that. And yeah, so it's really becoming like this universal, this universal thing and an addiction that our brains just crave. So yeah, and it's come on very quickly. And you know, people will say to me, well, you're kind of a nostalgic dinosaur trying to fight progress and a nostalgic dinosaur. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, there definitely are some plays on nostalgia with your, with your brand. And I, but I like that because it like reminds us of these things that we've forgotten like this. Yeah. Like you were saying this like time that we've, uh, we've forgotten about (laughs) like going into the woods without our phones. 
thank you. And that's like the ultimate compliment because I, as much as we have to look, stay present and look into the future and protect ourselves, we do have to look back and we don't have to look back that far. And so when they say I'm being nostalgic, I'm like, yeah, but this was 10 years ago that everything really shifted when the world went into our pocket. And we're doing things now that were inconceivable then. You know, I can order a boyfriend, a birthday present, food, and my dog's leash to my house and a car to come pick me up in five minutes. Like this was unheard of eight years ago or 10 years ago. And look at how quickly it's been adopted and um, a, a societal norm. And so it's really important that we look backwards as we look forward. So too. So speaking of looking backwards, back in February, you did a full on digital detox. So that included a tech free February. So that included no email, no cell phone, no messages, Uber, laptops, Bumble, GPS, pings, seamless notifications, Shazam, digital photos, online notes and social media. So is this true? Like, did this really happen <laughs> for a full month? The attempt, the attempt what did really you learn? happened. Um, and it happened twice. Well, the first time I went to go do it, I did not realize, and you have to realize, I have a very healthy relationship with technology now. I'm very aware. I don't adopt every single new thing. I prefer tangible and tactile whenever I can. So what is, what is a healthy... What does a healthy relationship with tech look like? Well, I would say healthier compared to other people. So for me, it is, I don't, I don't consume every new thing with abandon. I don't use apps for just like entertainment or, or consumption. I use my technology to make things or create things. I don't use it as a replacement. I use it as a utility. So I really don't utilize text messages as often as other people do. I will forever be the friend who calls you. I will always take meetings via phone versus via email. Any way that I can really step away from communicating in a digital space, I know that's ironic because that's how people find me, um, but you got to fish for the fish are, take them offline as quick as you can, because that's what I think these things were meant to be. So I would say compared to other people, I have a healthy relationship but we're still trying to define what that is. And that's what this tech-free month was supposed to be for me was I still felt, even with this you know healthy relationship, unhealthy. I felt like my life was too fast and that I was still stressed and I was still anxious and I was still feeling pulled in too many different directions. And I didn't know if it was my tech. I didn't know if it was New York City and living here. I didn't know if it was my age. You know, they say life goes faster as you get older. I didn't know if it was having a child or a combination of all of those. So I knew one thing that I could do um, very quickly was remove technology as one of those sort of question marks and see if that slowed things down. So I thought this would be fairly easy. I've done plenty of digital detoxes, but just never to this length and never so all-encompassing. And so I prepared for it. And I put it out into the world and said that I was going to do it. And as soon as I tried to do it, I was uh, brought back to reality very quickly. I didn't realize how many digital and technological ties I really had. Things you didn't think about. So the thing that brought me back the first time was I have a child. He's seven. And he's not allowed on technology. And I wasn't worried about that at all. At all. Like no screens. 
He is allowed to watch television, but only on the family television and only for certain times and only certain channels. So there's no YouTube allowed, nothing like that. There's no binging allowed. It's like we choose, okay, you get one show. So I know how the programmers are working to try and learn about them and feed more of themselves back to themselves. I know that you know, it's very quick and easy for these children to fall into these addictions through the YouTube link, you know, click this, click this, continue, continue. And so I don't allow it. I, I believe after all of my research that it is best to abstain until they are cognitively ready to handle it. Knowing how addicted I became in my mid-20s and early 30s, I don't know when that is. And until I have that answer, I'm not going to introduce it. But the thing that was interesting about this was that it wasn't him per se that brought me back, but it was the ties to him that brought me back. So he has allergies and asthma and I... All of his paperwork was through the screens and through these portals. It was one of the things I had forgotten about. I knew that I had to not subscribe and save my dog's dog food. And I knew I would have to go to the grocery store. And I knew that I would have to call friends ahead of time from the landline to meet up. And I would have to have a paper map to get around the city. Like all of that was planned. But I had completely forgotten that if he needed his inhaler refilled, there was no other way to get it. When you call the doctor, they tell you to go through the portal. And so I decided to take a break and try it again. And I tried it a second time. And just lots of things out there that we so blindly accept and communicate through or subscribe to or utilize the utility that you forget. And it's really hard. And now I have a digital list, ironically enough, of every single platform that is doing something for me so that if and when I choose to fully go off the grid, I have made workarounds for all of them. Wow. So did you have main yeah, takeaways from from this experience? Yeah. The main takeaway is I'm a lot happier without it. A lot <laughs> happier. The feeling of being pulled in 82 directions really goes away. The feeling that... I don't have full focus or time for creativity. It went away and and creativity became fun again. This comparison, you know, I don't I don't really look at my social media. I really don't. And it's there again, I have to have it, but I'm not one of these people that's always on it. I'm not posting regularly, but even just a couple times a week I was so aware of what everybody else was doing, whether in business or personal. I guess that it just was like, um, it was like brain germs, if you will. Like my brain was stimulated with this other content all the time that as soon as I got rid of the phone or the computer or whatever, mm -hmm. my brain actually had just had space. And I talk about this a lot and I find space in hours or minutes of the day, but by removing it entirely, you realize how unnecessary all of that stuff is. And it actually was a source of my anxiety, if you will. And I don't even really have full-blown anxiety, but I guess I just operated feeling um, busy all the time or frazzled or not enough moments in the day. And as soon as I got rid of that stuff, I kind of stole back my time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So... Do you think that 
you know, you talk about how you want to shift the way that we use and see tech and, and make it regulated and bring it back into balance. And so what does this look like to you? Like, do you have a vision of a tech utopia where we have learned to overcome the tech, like to be stronger than it in a sense, to not let it control us? What does that look like for you? Yeah. Well, um, where I'm at right now is I really don't think that we, the way that the tech is made right now, we can't fully control it. It is stronger than us. This way it's designed is to uh, do the same things to us that a slot machine does to us when we gamble or when we have a cigarette or alcohol or sex or watch porn or do drugs. It is the same biological reaction. And as well, every ping, ding notification that we receive is giving us the stress hormone. And it is the only way to relieve that stress is to then continue utilizing it, right? So that's what's fueling the addiction. And so I really, I don't know that it'll ever happen. I, 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 I'm, I'm fearful for where we're going right now. But that's why I think folk rebellion is so important in all of this, because it's, it, I'm trying to teach people to make decisions for themselves and self-regulate and not wait for the government, not wait for the tech companies, because this stuff is changing so quickly. You know, today we might be talking about Snapchat and email, and tomorrow we're talking about wearables and artificial intelligence and iPads and kindergarten. So it's shifting. And what it comes down to is, is it's going to have to be personal choice and and something and, and personal practice but saying that to fix the problem i believe they need to be looked at like cars so government regulation means the same way we have the food pyramid and we have the fda um and we have uh laws around cars and cigarettes right because people can't protect themselves um and it's for the greater good of society if there are rules and regulations. I believe government regulation is going to be imperative. The problem is that the government doesn't understand technology right now. And so they're going to have to put together a committee of people um, to help the government navigate this. Now, unfortunately, the committee of people that they've brought in all have a vested interest in the growth of technology right. and not being mandated and moderated. So, uh, you know, if I had it my way, it would be not allowed to children uh, until some people say their frontal lobe is developed. Even that is arguable of when that actually is. I would like to say when they're cognitively ready for it um, to manage their own behaviors, which I mean, you look at teenagers, you know, it's different for all of them. So I wouldn't allow companies to market to them. I wouldn't allow educational apps and things like that. I wouldn't allow cell phones should not be had until a child is, you know, 16, 18 or 21. Again, this is all can be argued about, but much later is what I would say. I think that warning labels come on everything by you to, by downloading this app. Um, you can become addicted, lose hours. I mean, God knows what it could say. You know, the fact that like smoking cigarettes has a warning label on it now People fought for that for decades, and eventually you can shift society and culture. Um, People will say the world is undeniably digital. How can you try and fight this? You know, you're never going to change it. To which I say, 
20, 30 years ago, we were smoking cigarettes in doctor's offices and eating high fructose corn syrup and driving around drunk without seatbelts on. You know, look at us now. You can change it. It's going to be really, really difficult this time around, though, because it's growing so much faster. And so that is what my utopia looks like. And then uh, when it is introduced, it's introduced to a society that is not so easily tricked into adopting the new thing, that they're, they're looking at each new thing and saying, what is this doing for me? What is the benefit? What is the person who has created this benefit by me signing up for it? What is it replacing? What do I lose by utilizing whatever X, Y, or Z next new disruptive innovative thing is? Because I, I, I can see behind the great and powerful Oz curtain, all of this comes back to money and capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really like what you said about bringing it into question. Like, are we even questioning what we're consuming or are we just blindly no, accepting no. it and taking it into our lives? And yeah, yeah. And what you said, it made me think about some interview with one of the execs of Facebook down in Silicon Valley. And he was saying how, you know, he doesn't let his kids use tech and how his perspective on it, how, and he's really in it and he, he sees it, the detriment. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of people who created these problems who don't use it or don't allow their families to use it. And the the saying goes, if you know any drug dealers or have heard of this, it's you don't get high off your own supply. First thing that'll put you out of business. So they know better. And um, back to that, like question everything approach, I guess that, you know, it's funny that I talk about technology, but if you look at the dispatch and all the issues that have the volumes that we've had, I kind of take the same lens to everything, whether it's media and advertising, regulation, freedom, food, it goes back to, uh, you know, I don't really know what happened to us, but in the 60s and 70s, the coolest kids in the world and the coolest people were the damn the man, you know, hippies kind of take down like the establishment and being able to see what everything was doing to us. And and now it's like... I'm terrified because younger and younger generations adopt brands and and apps and technology and as like who they are as their identity without even thinking twice about it and not therefore put into this sort of establishment without any realization of what's happening Mm. to them. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like where is our sense of questioning coming from? And it's like still operating within this, within this system totally within a system and I it's some people have said that when they've heard me talk or they've listened to a podcast that it's almost as if they can't it's like they took off blinders they can't unhear me or they can't unsee it anymore and it it taps into everything Uh literally everything they're like from billboards to their food choices to their relationships and like right now I'm having this whole like you know internal argument of it's you know the 50 year anniversary of pride and I live in New York City and my boyfriend owns a bar across the street from Stonewall and it's so beautiful to see what's happened here that you know um, a sense of pride and celebration of the the riots and how far we've come but at the same time I literally see a rainbow on every single window walking down the street from Sephora to Soul Cycle to Target and I'm like well, right when did we start fetishizing and selling and branding all of this with rainbows like it's like 
like, I see what you're doing. I can see what you're doing, big X marketing company. And I'm glad I can see it, but I don't know that the seven-year-olds and the 14-year-olds and the 23-year-olds know what you're doing. You're just trying to sell more freaking products. Absolutely not. And I think like a sense of protest and rebellion is healthy for society. You know, I mean, I grew up in Seattle and I would, we have like a history of protest and sort of just people who would take to the streets (laughs) and, um, and it's like, but now that kind of the grunge, like Pearl Jam, like era of, of Seattle, like flannel and Birkenstocks that I grew up in is now, it's now being, it's now tech and condos and, you know, the landscape is totally changing of that. And so, yeah, it's like, where is that? Where is the pushback and, and questioning and, and could, could there perhaps be a different way coming from? So right. I'd love to hear about this past year with Folk Rebellion for you. What have some of your struggles and lessons and realizations in in this past year been like? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I seem to keep learning the same lessons over and over again. I've been really, really lucky and very blessed to have been recognized for my work with Folk Rebellion. And like I said earlier, five years ago, everyone said I was crazy. And now it's one of the most buzzed about conversations. And when that happens, a lot of people want to participate. A lot of people want to collaborate and things just kind of exploded and it was a lot. And I burnt out. I burnt out for a few different reasons, both personally and professionally, once again, all over again, but in a different capacity. Here I was the person who knew what all this could do and what self-important burnout and running around hustle culture does to a person. I'd already lived it once and I did it again, but hidden behind the idea that I had a mission, that I had to save the world, that I needed to make it better for everybody, I had this insight and these learnings and I needed to teach and I needed to get this message out, you know, and to what end in uh, apparently to mine, because I got sick again last summer. I was flying between airports for back-to-back speaking engagements and I uh, collapsed in the airport and it felt like a heart attack. I literally fell over clutching my chest, knocked over some things and so, you know, they, the ambulance that in, in the hospital came and got me and it was awful and embarrassing and terrifying. And so when I got back home, I went to the doctor and I was diagnosed with costochondritis, which I didn't even know what that was, but it's an inflammation around your heart and lungs in certain areas, most often bought, brought on by stress and it mimics a heart attack, the feeling of a heart attack. The difference being a heart attack happens, you know, once or a couple couple times and goes away, this can remain and it doesn't go away. So you have that experience of the heart attack, heart attack for days upon weeks. And so I was bedridden uh, for first a few days and tried to get back up again and then put back down for a few weeks, tried to get back up again. And then, you know, it's going into the fall and I'm like, okay, it must be better now and get back up again. And it just kept putting me back down. And uh, my, I guess my body, thankfully, uh, screams at me in ways that I have 
have to listen. And I got to the point where I literally could no longer function anymore um, as the way that I was. And so I ended up having to just shut everything down. And I took a self-imposed sabbatical uh, from business, from it all, and focus on my healing and myself. And in that process, I was able to see how I perpetuated the same problems I did in corporate America, how I created the same exact framework for the issues I had had prior. I don't really believe in capitalism. And yet, you know, five years ago when all this started, being an entrepreneur is a badge of honor. And so I was this female mother entrepreneur in the wellness world who was just like blowing up and uh, how much of it is ego and self-importance. And especially when it came down to it that I didn't really need to make a lot of money at this. It was really my mission, but really is my mission that important and my own health. And so I've been doing a lot of work, if you can't tell, and a lot of reflecting. And I have banished the word entrepreneur from my um, bio, which my new website is going to be coming out um, later this week. And I went back to what I really wanted to do, which is storytelling. And if I think of myself that way as a storyteller and a creative, then there's lots of different projects that I can work on and I can be very selective and pick and choose. And I don't have to just drive a business to drive a business because that's how this ended up manifesting. So tell me why you you decided to banish the word entrepreneur. So I, I've always worked for entrepreneurial brands and I am an entrepreneur at heart. My whole life I have hustled, if you will. I have grit and I enjoy getting my hands involved in a lot of things and being a jack of all trades and taking a concept and birthing it into the world and bringing it to life. But I would say in the past year, the same way we've fetishized things like Pride Week, we've bastardized the word entrepreneur and founder. And it just really means somebody who is out there with something to say and something to sell and something to promote. And I see it everywhere the same way I can't stop seeing the rainbows. And so many of my friends and people I admire and uh, inspirations and colleagues colleagues fall into this role. And I don't think it's a bad role. I just have to change it in my head. Because every time I told myself I was an entrepreneur, it meant that I had something I had to sell and a profit that I had to make and a team that I had to pay for. Mm. And so I'm really restructuring and going back to just working for myself and being a creative and being an artist and um, being a teacher and um, a storyteller. And right there, it's a like a brain shift for me. Yeah. So I, that's the best that I can tell you. So now you have a new self-given title, multi-platform storyteller. So tell us more about what this is and where you see this evolving. Yeah. Folk Rebellion is one of my major projects. It's my baby I birthed into the world and it's always going to be a part of me and I'm always going to be you know, at the helm of that. But it's not the only thing that I am. And I find myself getting creatively uninspired by talking about only tech. Tech is just a piece of it. I think it's more the conversation, Jacqueline, that you and I have been having this whole time, which is about questioning things and a little bit of rebellion and kind of looking behind the curtain and becoming curious and educated again. And so 
So for me, Folk Rebellion is a project within that and a story that I tell to get people to wake up. And uh, there's going to be other ones too, uh, outside of Folk Rebellion. And the the multi-platform storytelling, That I guess storytelling is what I've always done as an entrepreneur and as an artist and as a creative. And how it manifests is through different utilities or different tools. So it might be my magazine. It might be the written word. It might be through my brands that I've worked with. Uh, it might be through a podcast. It might be me on stage. It might be a future TV show. Um, it might be a piece of art or an installation I decide to do. But it's really more about waking the general population up and the public and getting them to think and look at the world a little bit differently. And I kind of think now looking back on where I've gone with Folk Rebellion, it's really what I wanted to do. And it ended up becoming a full-blown business, which is, I'm so grateful and blessed. I'm not to say that I'm not, but had I looked at it through the lens of it was just a story to be told and a conversation to be had, and maybe it would have manifested in a way differently that it wouldn't have burnt me out. And so moving forward, that is how I'm going to filter all of my opportunities opportunities and projects is it telling a story I love that and I think like that reframing is so essential it brings you down to the like core reason of why you're doing it are you doing it to tell stories are you doing it like you said to market something or tell something or to kind of fall into that land of attention I guess what I'm saying is not that there's a problem with attention obviously but what's the reasoning behind it exactly yeah and and with that entrepreneur, founder, startup mentality, you're instantly set on this other people's expectations are that you are to be on this trajectory. You are to hustle, you are to raise seed rounds and funding, you are to collaborate and network with as many people as possible, you are to utilize your platforms 24-7. And I want to pull myself out of that that trajectory. I don't want to be on it. I never did. So the fact that I keep accidentally ending up there is wild to me. And I swear to God, universe, I will (laughs) learn my lesson. I will. So what does that look like for you? What do you think the high road of of tech is? You know, like how can you maintain this, this business and this presence, but also not, not give into the greater game that's being played? Yeah, it's a um, it's a lot of scaling back um, and dismantling some of the things that I've created. And so I have spent some time. There's a great book. There's actually two great books I would love to recommend for anyone after this podcast is over. Absolutely. One is by Ryan Holiday. It's called Ego is the Enemy. And it's about you know people who are highly successful or post-success and why we do the things that we do. Um, and that's really a, a hard thing to look at, right? Of every time I accept a speaking engagement, is it because I have a story to tell and it's important to get this information out there or is it something else like ego? And then the other one is a company of one. And I'm sorry, I can't remember the author's name right now, but it was how he had many people have built these systems or lives around them as entrepreneurs that involved many other people, whether it's uh, a team, a bunch of freelancers, writers, um, agencies helping you out, your vendors, your partners, things like that, and how it creates that 
that minutia moving forward and that busyness and how some of the happiest people, and this is what I keep going back to, what are my values? What do I want in life? And for me, I value my time more than anything. And I want a stress-free life. Who doesn't? And he was actually able to show that the happiest people in the world were companies of one. And so as much as I value everyone who's gotten me this far and the collaborations and partnerships and teammates that I have had, I am going to focus on being real strategic in how I, I build out these new things moving forward and who I bring in with me. So as opposed to hiring a team underneath me that are requiring me to answer to them all the time, and I understand how frustrating I can be as the digital well-being girl not being on my cell phone and not being on email when there is a company to run, but maybe um, instead bringing in a team to manage me or or lift me up or... um, So it's a little bit of a different thing. And I don't know. I'm in the process now. Uh, It's been really fun uh, to see what lights me up and what doesn't anymore and take those hard looks. Um, I can be really good at things, but it doesn't mean that that I need to do them. And so I'm being a lot more selective in those opportunities. Uh, For example, the dispatch, I love making it. And I believe I've created one of the greatest indie magazines um, out there. There's nothing out there like it. There's no format like it. The stories and the content is like, it's just so high quality. So I have created this thing where I have, you know, 30 collaborators, writers, a staff, and then you also have to deal with the subscribers and the partners. And I was working with one of my mentors and they said, well, what if you still had the ability to create this, which you love, but you only had to sell it one time? And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, what if you brought on like a hospitality partner? They need content. They need publications. And you just sold it one time. So that takes care of having to handle all your subscribers. And, you know, what if you had a managing director who then kind of took it over and you just got oversight over it? So where I had made something on the front end and the back end where I was so underwater with communication that I can alleviate both those problems with two key decisions. Wild. Like I would have never thought of that. And so that's, those are the restructurings that we're working for now. So what does the future of Folk Rebellion and the dispatches look like? Um, The future is that it is going to come out quarterly as opposed to every month, because one of the things we heard from our community is that the content is so good and so robust that it's really hard for them to get through it all in one month. And at least I'm feeling guilty at the end of the month, which we don't want. And to be like another thing to do. Yeah. So it'll, it'll be less often, but still just as dense, uh, maybe a little bit more. And we're in the process right now of finding a a few key partners to help us with the distribution. So therefore, that's taking that sort of monkey off my back. Um, I'm also working on a couple secret projects, uh, all about storytelling and folk rebellion, but really kind of getting out there a lot more. I've built this very much grassroots since the beginning, and it's really time to help get this out to as many people as possible. So um, I can't say too much on that, but just know that it's a medium that is available to most everybody. Um, and is quite low cost. And I think that people will be really excited to see these stories being shared, um, both positive and negative, the effects of, you know, technology and digital on our modern world and our lives and our relationships. And um, 
I'm going to go away from, you know, the products and things, which I'd already shifted away from that last year. But I really like the storytelling and the mediums and the media um, and the products, you know, maybe once in a while for fun. I know they were cute and everyone loved them and we sold out and we had some great partners, but it's just a lot to create a high quality t-shirt. And I don't want to put something out into the world that isn't something I'm proud of. And if that's taking me months to come up with and find the appropriate vendors, it's not really something that I want to do. So what is it? Well, I guess, first of all, when can we, is there a certain time that we can expect these secret projects to learn about them? Yes, uh, closer to the fall. And what is really exciting you right now? And if it's one of those things, you don't have to talk about it. But is there just anything like that is getting you fired up right now? Yeah, it's one of those projects specifically. And what else is getting me fired up? I'm really fired up about people getting fired up. I'm noticing a little bit more. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, just what's happening culturally. People are starting to get fired up. They are about other things. Like I'm not the only mad person in the room about certain things. So that's good. And then the other thing is the U.S. uh, women's (laughs) World Cup, I'm super fired up about and conversations that are happening there. And it's, uh, I've been writing a lot. I've been writing a lot. Specifically, one of the things I've written about is the Women's World Cup. And I'm I'm hopefully you'll be able to share it after this episode. Um, I on a major outlet is going to pick it up. But having conversations outside of tech and more around curiosity, rebellion, um, intellectualism, you know, people like making smart a badge of honor again. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So let's, I'd love to get some tech advice from you because this is something that it's just a reality that we all struggle with to some capacity. So what are your best tips for tech boundaries, rules, having a healthy relationship with our technology? Okay, I have got a list of them, but I'm going to try and do the high level ones that are really easy to adopt and explain quickly. So the first step towards digital wellness or well-being is to have awareness of the problem and how you're utilizing your tech. So I actually don't really believe digital detox is the answer. We're never really going to fully be able to live without this. And I'm not a Luddite that lives off the grid and only communicates with smoke signals, though I would love to. Mm -hmm. Um, But digital detox is great to gain that much needed perspective to have the awareness. So it's a good entry point to see what your triggers are. Um, It's kind of like a juice cleanse, right? Right? After you do a cleanse of any sort or you're sick or you haven't had food, the first bite of food, you're super aware of what it tastes like and how it feels going down your throat into your stomach. And um, that's really what a digital detox is for. So I would recommend, I mean, ideally, the longer you can do it, the better, three days, seven days, but even 24 hours without your tech, you'll notice why you're touching your back pocket. You know, you'll see um, maybe what your gateway drug is. For me, it's always been email. For other people, it's Instagram. Figure out what those things are and what the bad habits are and, and 
and it sets your barometer for moving forward. So that's step one. Step two is then deciding what boundaries you want to create around it. So I always say a lack of boundaries welcomes a lack of respect, which is how we operate right now with our tech. People can uh, communicate with us 24-7. We whip our devices out wherever we are. And uh, we need to start to bring boundaries back in. So you have to decide what that is. Find places that you want to start to protect, whether it's as simple as no phones at dinner, um, not communicating via email after a certain hour or outside of certain hours, giving yourself uh, you know, a certain amount of time that you're going to be on social media. But you're going to set those boundaries, really decide what it is. And, and you don't have to get it right the first time. It took me nine months to figure out how I can, how often I should check my email, what apps I should and should not have on my phone, where I could ban it from my house and where I couldn't. This is like a learning, it's a process and you'll get to a point of like, okay, this is what feels good. And it's not going to feel normal at first for you or for your community, but you're going to eventually it'll become the new normal. So once you set those boundaries, you have to shout it from the rooftops. Ironically enough, put an out of office on your social media. Tell people you're going to be testing this out for the next 30 days. Um, The more people you tell, the less stress you're going to feel like they don't know where you are and um, how to get a hold of you. So for me, in my email signature, it says, I check email key times throughout the day. Here's the hours. If it can't wait 24 to 48 hours and it's truly urgent, call my cell phone or call my landline. Guess how many people have called me in six years with an urgent matter that couldn't wait 24 to 48 hours? None. None. Because you're making them qualify the difference between instant and urgent. So that's a big one. Um, now people know where I'm at and they're, they're t- it's totally normal for them not to hear from me. Um, step three is start, you know, device-free sacred spaces. Your morning should be sacred, alone time in your brain. If you pull your cell phone as your alarm clock into your bed and it's the first thing you look at, you're starting your day with Kardashian-related breaking news and our political climate as opposed to thinking about what it is you want to do with your day and how you want to spend it. And it just instantly sets a tone and a mood. Step four would be to get it off your body. So these things operate like our fifth limb. Um, Start small, leave the phone in the car when you run inside to, um, you know, put gas in your car or pick up the dry cleaning and then, you know, push it a little farther. Go pick up your kid at school and don't bring it with you. Uh, Push it a little further. Try a dinner out and leave your phone at home. You will notice a big difference. There's a huge difference between having it off or having it off your body. Um, Excuse me one second. That's my dog. Hi. What's his name? His name is Killian. Big baby, but he's a big mouth. Give me one second. Killian. Sorry, the mailman just arrived. (laughs) Okay. You have to get it off your body and not just turn it in the off position. The next one, I find that the people with a very healthy relationship with their technology or it has less of a pull are people that make things with their hands or do something with their hands. So use your hands, 
Your hands are better used for, they do more than just typing and scrolling. So in my research, I found that people that have Mm. hobbies that um, actually utilize their hands are less addicted. Musicians, makers, artists, dancers, athletes, yogis, surfers, they're, they're less tethered because they have something in their life where their phone can't enter their hands or they're too busy to be bothered. Um, step six, nature, it's cheaper than therapy. There's so much research out there. I won't, you know, harp on this one, but definitely wander where the Wi-Fi is weak. This is the ultimate, um, serotonin boost that we all require. And, uh, if you're laying underneath the tree, you'll be more aware if you're staring at your phone the whole time than looking Mm -hmm. up at the clouds going by. Step seven is falling in love with the 3D. So introduce tactile, tangible, and analog wherever you can. Replace screens um, as much as possible. If you've spent eight to 10 hours on your computer at work, when you go home, don't Netflix and binge and look at an iPad the whole way home on your commute. Use a magazine, use a book. If you um, listen to music, maybe introduce something like CDs or um, actual physical albums. Uh, The more that you reintroduce the things that were cannibalized by our technology, you'll feel an emotional connection to it, but it'll just be less time on screens, which is healthier for you. Um, I've just got two more. Step eight is bringing manners back. So really holding yourself accountable and other people for when this stuff should be used and um, being courteous about it. Uh, Don't use it at the takeout counter. Don't use it at the restaurant when you're talking to a waiter and start to call yourself on it and give people permission to call you on it. Um, Step nine is really utilizing technology and digital to create versus consume. There's a major difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're, you know, mixing a video or a song or uh, you're writing, that that is something entirely different than watching um, the Explore tab on Instagram and the way that you're going to feel using your technology. One is like binge eating all the high fructose corn syrup on the face of the earth. The other one is going to feel like eating an apple, right? So all, not all content, you know? And the last one is to really um, encourage phone calls and prioritize and batch your emails. So uh, technology fills all time and space. So does work. Um, so you have to learn how to push back and decide like, okay, I'm only going to single task and do this one project at this time. And therefore I'm only going to do emails this hour to this hour. So it's us to up, us as humans to decide what those, those hours, those batching sort of boundaries are versus, um, what technology wants us to do, which is really have it all the time. And then the last one, I know I said the last one was the last one, but I have to say this one befriending boredom. Mm. The best ideas used to come. You know, like it's so important. How are we ever going to get into our lizard brain or process in hard to, you know, talk about conversations or thoughts or have a creative inspirational moment if we're filling every second of our waking time with stimulation? And so for the always on, I challenge you to see what happens if you give yourself some off time. And you, I bet that you're really going to be inspired or problem solve or tackle that thing that's really been itching at the back of your brain for a while. Totally. Well, I'm so curious having 
having as someone who's implemented these things in their life, I'm sure you find you're on your tech way less than the average person. So like, what is your time being filled with in, you know, where it wasn't when you were constantly on the go? Um, in real life relationships. So I'm spending a lot more time not looking at my friends and family's lives through their social media feeds, but actually with them, um, which is so much more like satisfying. Mm -hmm. It makes us really feel happy. The tech companies use these words like connection and social, but it's really just isolating people home on their couches, looking at other people's lives. And so I'm spending it there. Um, I'm learning to play the piano. I'm writing a lot. Um, I'm spending time with my dog and my neighbors and, um, reading books and really kind of, I mean, to be honest with you, living the life that I wanted, I I envision living, um, coffee and wine and parties and those types of Mm -hmm. things. It almost feels like nostalgic, right? Like a little bit like of just like that, like where you're in the driver's seat of your life and you're calling the shots and you're creating it, you know, designing it however you want versus the hours of, you know, that can go by just being, in this tech zombie numbness. So exactly. Exactly. Well, I want to ask you some rapid fire questions uh, before we wrap up. Well, for before I do that though, do you think there is a way that we can rediscover what true connection means in such a disconnected world? I do. I do because I, on my retreats and experiences that I do, if I take people's devices away from them for three days or seven days, I, to see these people connect and build friendships, like they, to quote them, haven't made in 20 years or 10 years is so, so incredibly heartwarming. And as, you know, the in real life, you know, sort of meetups culture grows, um, we're going to see a lot more of that. And it's just a matter of showing people what they're missing. I feel like they've forgotten Mm -hmm what it feels like. Um, All right. So let's go into some rapid fire questions here. So just whatever comes to mind first. Um, What's your favorite morning routine? Uh, Favorite morning routine and coffee, coffee and hanging out with my son before everybody else starts to bother me. And by everybody else, I mean all my emails and the rest of the world and (laughs) notifications. So that's, um, that's my favorite. For sure. What's the la- the book that changed your life? Oh, that's a good one. The Artist <laughs> Way. The Artist Way. If you haven't. Oh, Julia Cameron. Yeah. So, do you do the morning pages? I do. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, the best purchase in the last three months that cost you a hundred dollars or less. Hmm, it's a tough one. <clears throat> I don't know what I've bought. Uh, uh, probably a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's your favorite evening routine? Mm, I go for a nighttime walk every night with um, my dog and my son around 730. And we meet up with all the neighbors in Brooklyn and we chat and we trade books. And yesterday I brought my dispatch to this 90 year old man in a wheelchair named Steve, who I see every time. And lives in the neighborhood and found out he's an illustrator and he wants to illustrate for my next issue. And I just absolutely love it. Cool. 
What's the best lesson in love? Best lesson in love. Um, doesn't matter how many heartbreaks you have, you can still get over it and love again. Uh, best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one and they're all full of shit. <laughs> yes. And what is the piece of advice that you wish you would have been given? Um, I wish, I wish somebody had told me that, um, being an entrepreneur, yes, it's going it alone, but going it with everyone else who's involved is also really hard. Like I wish I, I wish they, you hear entrepreneur and you think solo, you think yourself and you think like a couple teammates, they become your family and Mm -hmm. uh, your family, your best friends, your everything. And I wish, I guess it's not advice. I just wish I had been more aware of being at the head of all of that. It's Mm -hmm. hard. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. This is so important to be having these conversations and I applaud and admire and respect your healthy dose of rebellion because that's what changes things. So thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ruby Ray. I am your host, Jacqueline Norton, and I'll see you next time.